0: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I do want to give him a better computer because we're talking about how he currently uses a MacBook Air, I and mean, he pretty much only does Minecraft with it. But I'd like him to start doing s- some more constructive things, just like learning computers better, how computers work, the architecture, and maybe even some of those simple coding things, like uh, what's the Swift one, playgrounds or whatever. Yeah, you ever use that? You looked at that, right? I did. It's pretty cool, huh? It's kind of cool.
1: I don't know. I, I got my kids into a couple of those drag and drop programming things. and
0: Oh, Salesforce? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> process Builder? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not, actually? Valid question. Isn't that drag and drop programming? What, like Process Builder? Yeah.
1: No, they don't want to do that. They want to, like, I don't know. They, they had fun with it for a while. They would have a character run around a maze or do something when on hit detection and things like that. And they just wanted to play and have fun. They don't want to mm. do work.
0: But like I was saying, you know, when I was little, I mean, I remember we had some crappy, well, actually I had an, an old, it was an Atari, I think it was XE. And it was a game system and console. It had took cartridges. Mm-hmm. But it had a keyboard. Came with a keyboard and a, a, a little gun. Actually, you could play. I think it was Duck Hunt or one of those, I'm not sure. Really? I don't was it know Atari? if it's a I don't, yeah. it's Nintendo. Maybe it wasn't Duck effect. Hunt. Yeah, it wasn't Duck Hunt. It was something else, some other kind of hunting game. It wasn't Duck Hunt. It was Atari. Yeah, they had Atari. A gun? Atari XE had a gun. Huh. But if you didn't, if you turned it on without a cartridge and it booted right into Basic. And so that's that was when I first started programming, or when I first did any programming. I mean, just stupid stuff like print my name and watch it scroll horizontally across the skirt, You know, yeah. make different patterns with my with my name or. Just stupid stuff
1: oh that's right because that's when that's when I said that computers nowadays do too many things, and so they're viewed more as these entertainment devices than they are this computing thing, yeah like when, when I started getting into computers, it didn't do much, and if I wanted to do something i I had to play with it I had to get it to do stuff. Yeah. I remember getting a book <laughs> that had like a, a program and you had to like type the program out to get it to do something
0: yep um but i i mean and I'd like for him to um. To start, again, just, I don't know, learning more about computers, but this crappy old MacBook Air he has is so bad. I mean, if you do anything, it just playing like a YouTube video, I mean, all the fans spin up to full blast. It's horrible.
1: And that's what I'm saying. You get him a new computer and needs to be like watching I YouTube know, videos and Netflix and right. Minecraft. He's, he's, he's going to have no need to jump into
0: a text editor and start coding. But what made me think of this was the, the fact that I've got my previous MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. which is a good machine. It's, there was nothing wrong with it when I bought this stupid touch bar machine and, and but now I'm thinking well crap I think I might want to go back to that 2015 MacBook Pro that's an old machine though it's old but it's still plenty fast mine was super old wasn't it bit when I upgraded or did I, I thought I... we had the same ones
1: or maybe we did I think we did it was the one before that that I
0: there was one you kept for way too long yeah. oh, my, oh my god John quit. <laughs> <laughs> quit trying to keep this thing on live support but I Yeah, did. I, mean, I got
1: an SSD in it and it that sped it up quite a bit.
0: Well, so we were talking earlier. We've got WWDC coming up. WW. WWDC. <laughs> and they generally don't announce computers there or do they? I'm trying to remember. So I may I might wait till the next announcement. It's either going to be there or at the you know the late summer event they do, press event. Um but I'm thinking, you know, I'll either go to a a a new non-touch bar MacBook. But I think I think the downside of those is they you can't get the higher end ones without the Touch Bar. You have to get the Touch Bar, and they all are going to come with a new keyboard, which is problematic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why I was thinking, well, maybe I just go back to my 2015 MacBook Pro. It's SSD. Um, it's got the old keyboard, which you could go back to better. Windows. Well, that just creates more problems. That why? doesn't solve any problems. <laughs> why? Because I don't want to get into that. I, I mean, that's such a such a rabbit hole that I don't wanna I don't want to go down that
1: Windows 10's pretty good. It's getting better.
0: Yeah. Better and better. Um, I was listening to the story of this guy who um he's a he's a software developer and he just does a bunch across Linux, Mac and and Windows. And he's he's got like in the past several years, he's gone back and forth between Mac and Windows a couple of different times for his for his main machines. And he was um about a month ago was talking about how much he was liking Windows 10. Mm-hmm. And then the most recent episode of this podcast, uh, he was talking about how he um, switched back to the Mac because he thought he was going to really like, it. there was things about Windows 10 he really liked, but he just, he kept getting um, just blue screens and stuff. So Oh, really? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the story was of that, if it was hardware-caused or whatever, but.
1: I think in their most recent updates or upcoming updates, they're going to have some more integration and connectivity with your devices. So like. I think you're able to do like messaging and things like that.
0: Yeah. So now there's there's just there are fundamental aspects of the of Mac OS versus Windows that I that I just prefer the choices that were made, and most of these are ancient choices at this point. Mm-hmm. But I just like the choices that they made for Mac OS better than the ones that Windows has, has made. I'd think the implementation of Windows is getting probably better. I mean, like you said, I mean this statement you just made I mean I, I hear that a lot I hear that Windows 10 is much better than Windows 7 and whatever but there's just there's just things that I just prefer about Mac OS and I mean I keep you know I don't know I, I feel like I've completely given up but I mean for the longest time I've I've watched the Linux ways I mean you were right for years I ran mm-hmm. Linux on my desktop yeah um, and they've you know it's come a long way I mean the, the desktop managers and window environments all that stuff but I mean I I I listen to people in that space as well, and they're just they're con- they're fighting the same things they were fighting ten years ago just it's just not good enough like there's been no dominant like breakout this is the this is the one that's like good and that's consistent and that i mean that would be Ubuntu if anything right if if well yeah but ubuntu i mean well i i mean I don't know enough to even talk about it, but i mean because I th- actually think Ubuntu kind of has their own desktop environment, but you know the big ones are like KDE and GNOME, right, or Gnome, mm. whatever the hell it is. Um, Gnome sounds more fun, but again, they say. they don't they just don't do it for me. Is the problem? So so for, for better or worse, um, I've chosen Mac, and I don't plan to change for my primary computing device. So uh, yeah, I've, I've, I can I want to give my kid that. My old MacBook Pro, but I'm like, man, maybe I might go back to that because it's got the, the older keyboard and it's fast enough. The only the big downside I would hit is my current machine has a one gig SSD and I've managed to almost fill it up because like the law of hard drive space is you will fill it up, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and my I, other one has, I think it's 512, so I'd have to really... Did you mean to say one terabyte? Yeah, sorry, one terabyte. Yeah. So I'd have, to, I'd have to get rid of a bunch of crap. That's too much stuff to have on a computer. Yeah, it probably is, but... I mean, I can. I'm sure the ton of it's just garbage that can be deleted. Like, I mean, every time I download LibreOffice or IntelliJ or whatever, I mean, these things are like five or freaking Docker. I mean, every, Docker does a three hundred and four hundred megabyte update every day, <laughs> every single day. It seems like. I Thought it was the lightweight <laughs> container. That doesn't sound very lightweight to me. No, the containers you put in it are lightweight. Docker itself is <laughs> is the giant ship that holds those containers. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, computing dilemmas, they never go away. Uh, I, do, I did want to tell a story. I'll catch you a couple stories. Um, one is, I don't even really know the story. I'm hoping you might know it, because I saw this Twitter conversation, but then it faded away, and I don't know where it is. But people were talking about, they found ways, and maybe this is like a well-known thing. God, why does this always come loose? Anyway, <laughs> to, um, to, depl- to deploy to production with code, with no test coverage whatsoever, and I think I'm remembering, and more than I, I'm thinking about this, I think it's coming back to me. I remember. I think I remember how they did it. Now, you can build stuff out in a, I think it's a trial org, mm-hmm. and it does not require test coverage. And then if you convert that trial org to a paid org, now you've got a bunch of stuff in production that does not have to have test coverage, and you didn't have to have any test coverage. So, and I can't remember. Someone was telling the story about how. Their client wanted them to make, or maybe it's their employer, some small change, whatever. So they, you know, I don't know, probably creates a sandbox or a scratch org or whatever you do nowadays. And makes the change and tries to deploy it to production. And it turns out there's like there's no test coverage in production. So then they had to sit there and create test coverage for all the stuff that I don't even think this person created this code. Yeah. But now he's gotta you know create all these tests, all this test coverage for that code that this person probably doesn't even know what the code is intended to do. That's the that's the tough thing about writing coverage for code that you either didn't create or don't know what it's supposed to do. Is I mean, the, the tests are supposed to validate that the code does the right thing. Well, if you don't know what it's supposed to do, how do you write the test for it? I mean, you can you create just coverage. For, just go for coverage. Yeah. yeah, just go coverage. Just, just make, try to cover all code paths. Yeah, and just I, guess, I mean, you want, the problem is you won't really be able to write effective tests. I mean, you won't be able to make the right assertions and design right. your tests to like you. Usually, know in that case, to. you're
1: not making any assertions. You're just executing the code and trying to get coverage.
0: I, I think there's other ways to get to get code in production without requiring tests too. Um, but why would you want to? Well, I think it happens accidentally sometimes as part of the problem. And cuz cause, cause ultimately what happens is some some poor developer ends up being the guy who's got to write a bunch of test coverage. Probably, you know, they're already behind schedule. Mhm. He's already going to have to you know, work the weekend to get some kind of project done. And then and then you find out when you got to deploy to production, yeah, that you, <laughs> that you're not even <laughs> close. Oh, that just that's just uh like the Murphy's law of Salesforce computing. with deployments especially god I just Salesforce deployments man woo just still a really bad story yeah (laughs) so many things that need to be fixed
1: I have one where I'm actually deprecating a bunch of stuff and I'm dreading it because I essentially have to comment not comment out but stub out the class not stub it out what's the right way of saying it I get rid of all the code in the class, but I leave all of the You like you hollow it I, out. Yeah, hollow it out. Yeah. I leave all the stubs for the method calls and everything else that have dependencies, but I stub out everything that actually doing any logic so that I can deploy all the new stuff and then after the fact I have to go and delete
0: it. But wouldn't that make tests not pass? Don't you have test coverage of the class that you hollowed out? No, because the test classes get hollowed out too. <laughs> God. Oh my God. It's 2018, and this is how we're doing deployments. Yeah. Oh, hello, Salesforce. anyone from Salesforce listening? <laughs> <laughs> Fix this, please. I've been asking for this to be fixed for 10 years now. Just, and, and I won't name any names, but you know, someone was asking in the Slack the other day, like, hey, all I need to, be able to do is like, rename some fields or something. I can't remember what it was. How do I deploy this, or how do I make this part of any kind of rational, repeatable deployment? And it's basically like, yeah, you can't. You can't. You can, you you could, and and I, don't, I haven't seen anyone do this, but you could build a deployment system <clears throat> around, you know, non-idempotent like commands that do stuff to an org that expect an org to be a, in a certain state and do stuff to the org because that's how, if you look at like my data my mig- database migrations a la Rails or like in the Java world Flyway and Liquibase. Basically, like every time you, when you change, let's say you, you know, you start a new sprint and one of the things you got to do is you're going to, you're going to add support for, um, you know, orders. So one of the things you do is you go into your database and you create an orders table. And so now you have this create script for your orders table and you drop that into a text file mm-hmm. and somewhere in the source, in the source, like you might have a, a directory in your, in your source code for database migrations and usually they're numbered. I think, right? So, you you know, so if the previous migration number was, you know, 50, then this would be 51. So it's 51 underscore, you know, create order order table dot SQL. And you just keep those uh, in in the source code. And then when it gets deployed to production or at a certain point, you can choose to play any of those migrations that haven't been played against the database that you're deploying to. So let's say you're deploying to... um, some QA database that's on that the, the last migration it ran was like 49. Well, so it knows, it knows it needs to run 15, 51. So like upon boot like before the I like guess a part of the uh, app's startup process it runs migration 50 and 51. And these are you know they're non idempotent. You can't run that create script twice. But mm-hmm. but in the database there's a table to track my, these migrations. And so that's how the database essentially knows whether what what migration it's on and then When the app boots up, I mean, when the app boots up, it looks to see in the database like what was the last migration it run, and then in the in the in your deployment blob of stuff, it looks at all the migrations, all the migration files to see if there's any new ones it needs to run. And so you could do something like that in the Salesforce world, I think. Like, hey, you, oh, we see that you, you haven't run this migration, which renames the field foo to bar. Well, as long as as long as somewhere in Salesforce you're storing what the last migration number was, and you've got all those migrations, you've got all the migrations in your source code, then you're you could have a deployment process that then deploys, you know, does the re, does those renames. The problem is we're talking about production, right? And uh-huh. that's that's the tricky part, right? Because you need to you need to you need to perform those like i said the rename because you know the metadata api has a um they came up with this years after the 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 zip file package version of metadata deployment they have a, like this crud api and you can call these methods like create metadata rename metadata and it's i think it's for smaller chunks you can't you couldn't do like a large org via all these little create calls or update or delete but you can do like little pieces of stuff you can do like mm-hmm. rename but the, the tricky thing is is like how do you in a in, in an atomic deployment I don't I don't think you can mix these I don't think you can say okay rename this field from food to bar and also here's my zip of basically all the metadata the latest metadata kind of as is or whatever you know what I'm saying I think so, and I also when you if you when you if you use that rename metadata API, mm-hmm. and let's say you rename a f- field from food to bar, is that smart enough? To, will, will that actually find every reference to that field in formulas and in reports and uh, templates and in Apex code and update all those for you? I don't know. It's it, again that. This is, I'm describing like a, something that's theoretically possible. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why this, there's going to be, you're going to run into a hundred reasons why this doesn't work, why you can't do this. Yeah. My brain is starting to fall into itself. Go away, Siri. (laughs) What? Calling James (laughs) on. What? No. Your phone is already on a call. That's interesting.
1: Is someone calling you and it's trying to pick up or what's going Uh,
0: on? Someone is calling me, but I think that's completely random. (laughs) Anyway, That's um, right. how do we get on that? Yeah, know. you're starting with a story. A way to deploy to production with no coverage is what it was. I got another story. This is—I don't know. This applies to nothing. Apropos, a la nada. But it's—I uh, called. I got a—I got a—a um, a nasty letter from my cable modem provider, which used to be Time Warner. Did I already tell the story? I don't. Remember, I don't think so. Used to be Time Warner. They got bought by Spectrum, I guess, or merged with Spectrum. Whatever happened. And it's like, uh, hey, you're you know, you're we're about to cut off your service because you have this outstanding payment. And I go in there and look and I've got them set up on like auto pay and it just mm-hmm. pays it just auto pays to pay the monthly amount every month. Well, the problem is like if I swear it's like every six months they raise my rate. And the only way I know, because the reason I have them auto pay is because I don't want to look at bill the bill every month and manually pay it. Wow. So the bills just go right in the trash. So the only reason I know when they raise my rate is I I get some nasty thing from them. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, okay, what has gone up again. So I called a complaint. I'm like, okay, this is, uh, you guys, I mean, this just keeps going up and up and up. And that's why this is late. Now I've got late fees. Why are you raising my rate so much? And so I ended up having to pay the late fee and all that. But at the same time, they're like, yeah, but you're, you know, I've noticed you're on the old Time Warner plans. He said, you should switch to the cuz and i think it's i think i'm up to like 115 bucks a month or something like that. They said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you should switch to the Spectrum plan. It's only 90 and you'll go from 300 megabits to 400 megabits." That doesn't sound right. is that? What well, doesn't sound right? But that's just for internet. Okay. Yeah, it's internet. Okay. And that's like $90 for 400 megabits. I mean, that's a pretty fast speed. That's their top. That's their fastest speed. I think. They're although they're looking at they said they've got 600 megabits coming soon. I think that's as fast as my modem supports. So I looked at it, it's like 680 megabits or something like that. But, yeah, I, mean, I was just like, well, why, I don't understand the separate, I mean, you bought Time Warner. Why, what do you mean, how can you say it's, oh, it's that other guy's plans that are, well, I don't even understand this. Like, why did I? They probably have plans that are grandfathered because I, that's, that's what it is. On and, and, and And, yeah, right. And, the, and they, they basically don't, they just keep they, keep they raising it on you so that you're <laughs> yes. really like, why am I paying so much? Yeah. You're like, we'll switch over, dumbass. Yeah. Well, and they're like, I mean, why would they proactively call me and say, hey, you know, we've, you know, good to meet you. We're Spectrum. We bought your company, your your previous company. We've got cheaper plans. Why don't we go ahead and switch you over? I mean, why would they make that call? Because that just because they can't make that call. No, because they're, they're, they're losing not
1: money. using Salesforce and uh, Einstein to be able to say, hey, call this guy.
0: <laughs> they probably are actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, you know, let's. I have some. I have a little bit of industry stuff, but not a whole lot. What do you want to talk about today? Did you have some release notes? You want to go over some new features or something? Yeah, I've been kind of putting that off.
1: I guess I can. It's yeah, we can do that.
0: I mean, anything else? Anything? I'm just trying to get an idea of like what we've got in, in store for the show today. Not much. Not much. Okay, that's fine. I'm busy as hell. That's fine. And then I've got. Uh, I am too, and I'm I'm totally okay with a uh, with a yeah. short with a short show if we need um if we need to. All right. Um. So Oracle is has released their blockchain as a service. They uh, it, and they're they're also releasing some of their apps with Bacass. They're based on <laughs> what you call it? Bacass. Be- Bacass. <laughs> apps based on distributed ledger technology, DLT, will follow in June. Uh, there's a quote that's uh, this blockchain platform will give customers a platform to extend their services beyond their enterprise bundle, which means they can extend them outside to their business partners. Advantage customers and so on, whatever that means. They have some examples. So they're working with Banco de Chile, which is the second largest software company. Oh, that's Oracle, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, this Banco de Chile is going to uh, log interbank transactions on a hyperledger. Hmm. So that is kind of that's that's actually. I mean, there are these are there are interesting applications for blockchain. That's that's one of them. Like we we did do transactions between you know interbank or inter you know organizational type of transactions. Who, loans the, who, who owns the ledger? Like Who's the person that's going to keep track of these? Well, like in the United States, that's, I believe, the Federal Reserve is the, when banks want to like, in, do interbank stuff, I believe the, the Federal Reserve settles all of those. And blockchain is a way to say, no, oh, no one has to own it. We both own it. Everyone collectively owns this because it's cryptographically or whatever, you know, t- untamperable. So it's secure. Hmm. Huh. Uh, another one is the government of Nigeria, which has sought to document customs and import duties on blockchain. Interesting. Oracle's products will also be pitched to pharmaceutical companies to track and replace batches of medicine, which may potentially ease recalls. I don't understand why blockchain for those, but the bank would I understand.
1: I can see bank getting some uses out of that. I still, I still really don't have a good grasp on the best way to use it or understand it to to the point where I can find new uses for it. It's just just not something that's in my brain capacity at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm still like just, Salesforce saying they're gonna have blockchain. I'm like, okay, but what am I gonna use that for? It's just, or um yeah, who was it that was that did some kind of implementation of blockchain on in, in Apex? Didn't someone do that? Uh yeah, it was um shoot. Dan Appleman? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um Yeah did he did he actually implement Blockchain in Salesforce, or did in Apex, or did he like? Was he kind of linking out to it? I can't remember. And and the problem was computational, right? It's like you don't Salesforce just gives you these itty bitty slices of computation. Yeah, I mean you could do it on something like Heroku or uh, AWS, but I can't imagine. And I think it's one of the things like, can can this, is this even possible? Like, it'd be fun to see if it's possible. But I don't know, yeah, I don't have any, I don't feel like I've ever had a great use case for, and maybe I'm just, I don't have a good imagination, but for blockchain and Salesforce, I don't know. I do lack like the imag- imagination capacity at this moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. My just... creativity is stretched thin, my capac- mental capacity is stretched thin, it, It's t- it's tough at this point to just... Sit and go. Ah, oh, there's
0: this new technology out. I want to figure out what I'm going to do with this. I mean, like eighty percent of my job is making screens that are reasonably pretty and storing data in a relational database. <laughs> <It's>, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm still stuck <laughs> making composite screens to
1: reduce clicks. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. that's that's ninety percent of it, and then there's just complex logic which is isn't really complex. It's only made complex by the fact that I have to deal with the limits and the transactions and pooling information and all that kind of stuff and trying to do it in the most efficient way possible and cover all scenarios. Um, I drive myself crazy going into rat holes of scenarios. (laughs) Like Back in the day, a roll-up was easy. It was, oh, just go and aggregate and roll it up. But now I think about everything. Now I think about insert, updates, deletes, Changes previous changes, so if I have two things rolling up, I have to I'll, I'll dip into the old version of it and pick its up so I can make sure it gets its new rollups because this thing changed and that thing changed, and I just i i've i've had I've built enough of these and had enough of them fail that now I know all the different scenarios I need to cover, and so roll up isn't as simple as it used to be for me. <laughs> it's done right, but it's it's not as simple as it used to be, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense
0: kind of. I kinda of get the it. The code nice. was
1: simple when I was ignorant. Right. But now that I'm I'm um, edu- educated, w- wiser. You're woke. When I'm now <laughs> now that I'm woke, <laughs> I realize how complicated a
0: roll up it really is. It's not as simple as, as it sounds. Which is weird. Aren't things supposed to be getting simpler? You know, clicky clackety and dragy droppy and everything.
1: Yeah. It's supposed to. Oh, and then you got hierarchical.
0: I mean, hierarchical, we- hierarchical. I think that's, I think that was good. Hierarchical. Yeah. sounds like <laughs> a lot. Of, I think that's, uh, I think you said it right, but it's a lot of cut, cut, is in there, isn't it? In, the, in a row. <laughs> I've dealt enough
1: with, with hierarchies of records that I have my own little system that kind of finds a midpoint and spans out to grab all the hierarchy of data so that I don't have to limit it. Yeah. I used to just say, okay, I can only go three, three levels deep or two levels deep. But it's, now I've gotten like relation efficient. queries
0: or whatever, relationship queries.
1: Is that what we're talking about here? Well, let's just say account. Parent child, but uh-huh. the parent child hierarchy can go down like four or five levels. And how do you wherever you're at, wherever you start from when it comes to doing roll ups, you have to find a spot in the hierarchy to start from. It's 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 more accurate to to do your roll ups from a single point than to try to start from one point and then try to aggregate from that point. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. Like I I keep using hand gestures yeah, like no. I have this big graph of <laughs> things in my head that I'm pointing at, but yep. I've just found that the simplest way is to to find a single point in the hierarchy that you're always going to do your roll-ups from. whether it's from the bottom or the middle or wherever you you go from there and you go up and and usually I go up and then you you run all, all the roll-ups
0: because you're having to save these roll-up values in the records, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Whereas Salesforce, is, it's inefficient to say, "Okay, I'm going to roll up the child's, and then let that trigger, and then have that trigger to roll up the parents, and then have that tr- roll up." It just doesn't work that way. It's just you'd hit limits. You hit right? limits. Yeah. So you have to find a way to kind of build that entire graph of data and then update it all at once. And you're doing this because they're not master details, so you can't use Salesforce rollups. Not that, not that um,
0: deep. You can do one level deep with oh, the, that's a roll up. Okay, yeah, but you can't go deep. What about the declarative roll up summary package from, uh, I forget who does that, Andy Fawcett maybe?
1: Um, it might. I've just, I've always been tasked to do it and I've always built it and I've always been comfortable building it and I hmm. have this wisdom of knowledge on how to build it, build yeah. it.
0: And so I, I just do it. I, would, I think I would probably just av- avoid like r- really, you know, that many levels of, of roll ups.
1: It, it can be mind numbing sometimes. Yeah
0: okay um, more Oracle stuff so they've um, had some press releases about this autonomous more autonomous thing so a while back they announced that I guess their autonomous database it's just um, I think it's some kind of option or, or system you an can autonomous database you can enable that so it, it manages itself kind of that's pretty much and I, of course it uses AI and whatever but anyway they, um, there's a couple of new autonomous things I thought were interesting they have an anonymous an anonymous there we go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, an autonomous integration cloud to speed up integrations between Oracle and non-Oracle cloud and legacy applications. And I thought this is interesting. Um, Where was it? So it says it's self-tuning, self-driven, whatever. Uh, But it says it uses machine learning to understand the different elements inside an integration flow and quickly connect them. So you can say, and in fact, they have out of the box connectors for Salesforce Workday and SAP. By the way, I think if it was really AI, why do you have to have out of the box connectors that are basically pre-configured things? Yeah. <laughs> but I you know, I guess it looks like I mean it looks at your Oracle account and your Salesforce account and figures out how to integrate them. Well, it figures out the probably just does fuzzy for- fuzzy matching on field names. <laughs> that's that's <right. sighs> <laughs> <I hope not. laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I don't, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, it's
1: an integration, man. You don't want to be... You don't I mean, the, just... the, the hard part of doing an integration isn't mapping the fields or telling it to move this piece of data to this other piece of data. It's understanding the data, understanding the nuances of the data, what its purpose is, and then how you're going to deal with that. Um, and not only that, sometimes the data's just dirty. And how do you tell it don't base your logic on this data because it's really d- dirty and ugly. Yeah, this pattern is not something to replicate.
0: Right. Well, it's it's like when they they there have been some some AI embarrassments when they find out that AI starts behaving in like a racist way. Yeah. And it's like it's like well, you, I mean, you gave us this data and said <laughs> you learn from this data, and so we did, right? And so there's there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. But and, wasn't
1: that a bunch of people trolling the Microsoft bot and it started? Responding in ways because of all the ways it's it c- yeah it could it could be,
0: but I mean if you just if you put if you put some kind of AI bot on just said hey go go to Twitter and just learn learn start learning the world I mean it's going to learn some really bad stuff.
1: <laughs> that's
0: true. I, I hope our I
1: hope I hope technology or bots or artificial intelligence isn't learning about humans from social media because that's the worst place to go to learn yeah, about humans.
0: Well, but it's it's going to right. I mean and and. And I don't know if there's a way to tell AI, you know, give it to give it values and principles. Yeah, I hope I aliens mean, aren't looking. Well, at that's like we've talked about. Who, and who judging was, us. That's what I feel like we talked about this last week. You know, the who was the guy that was saying the problem is is the AI? Oh, it's the guy that was talking about how. Um, was it the one that he said, "You know, it wasn't the SQL queries about it. No, it was that uh, someone's AI was a bunch of crap. Oh, Watson, right? Watson AI was just basically a bunch of crap." he's like, the problem is, you know, the AI doesn't have a point of view. And I feel like that's just what we're talking about right now. And the the problem is, is AI doesn't know that racism is bad. It just knows what it is. and knows how to just regurgitate it, just like it does all the other data you fed it. It doesn't know that it's bad. It doesn't have principles. Yeah. And, and, you know, (laughs) I don't know. and And even worse, what if... What if AI decided that racism was good? What if, it, what if it did all these calculations and figured out, oh, actually the best way to structure society is by race, or something like that, and it ran all these calculations? I mean, obviously that's, you know, it's not a, it's not a popular thing nowadays, and we would hope to not let, not let it do that, but what happens when the AI gets out of hand and the robots take over?
1: <laughs> I feel like we went down a rabbit hole. It's we're just talking about data... These integration systems that are trying to run out, out.
0: Well, okay, but let's let's okay, let's just take it back then to you know automatically building your integrations for you. I mean, that, it doesn't. I don't know. It's just it's just it's it's just another chapter in the book called AI is kind of a bunch of crap still. Yeah, and it, it's just it's not a, actually it's not a bunch of crap. It is what it is. It's just it's being so abused by dishonest marketing.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if this te- same technology came out, say, five years ago, what would it be called? What was the buzzword back then? Well, I mean, I mean the term AI has been around for decades, so I don't know. Yeah, but people are calling things AI. I know. I know. They, they, they build some, some logic routine and they say, oh, it's smart enough to know to see this and do this. That means it's AI.
0: Do you remember it, decision support systems? Is that yes. what they were called? Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah, it's got some kind of decision tree logic <laughs> yeah. going on. And they're, now they're like, say, oh, it's got AI.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's got branching logic statements here. Well, you'll like this next one. They have the Autonomous Visual Builder Cloud that automates code generation for multiple platforms, including iOS and Android. It, uh, it's geared for would-be developers that w- without much, if any, coding skills. The Autonomous functionality will make the low-code platform even easier for them to rapidly create and extend desktop and mobile apps.
1: Cool if you want to build an app like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean a an app that <laughs> looks and acts like everything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, people don't gravitate to an app because it's the same as everything else. They gravitate to an app because it offers some unique, intuitive experience. Someone was thinking out of the box and like, "Wow, this is great. This makes my life easier." Yeah. How is AI going to do that when all its data is based on
0: past history? But and I don't I don't actually don't see where they said this was AI. They're just calling this autonomous. Okay. I mean, they do generically refer to especially like the autonomous database that it's using yeah, I think the integration thing too it said it was using AI to understand like semantically your data and the and the data structure and then know which how to which I think to, it could do to a certain degree of success but don't you have to isn't one of those things where the, the AI doesn't really the model doesn't get really good until unless you have you know insane amounts of data because it has to train on your data right yeah so I, I don't know. I, I think I think the problem is, is these enterprise software companies have to constantly stay in the news about AI and blockchain. And innovation innovation It does, and yeah. It's just yeah. Right. They got to be part of the new shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I only have one more thing, which is, I saw this actually a couple of weeks ago, I think, but it's just still in my notes. Salesforce did this study of color and how, I guess, how that, you know, psychologically, how that, how people deal with color and how they react to color. I think I had two. It was I, their. I think it was their analytics team. The what is that called nowadays? I don't even know. It used to be Wave, but is it just Einstein Analytics? Is that what it is? I think so. It was, it's kind of interesting. They there was a couple of different highlights that, that were or aspects of this that were highlighted. I guess one of them is like, do people like or what's better, light themes or dark themes? And
1: I think it depends on. I I like dark because I don't like all the brightness when I'm reading.
0: Yeah, and this is specifically in the context of people like let's say you put a dashboard in front of someone. You know, is a is a light theme better or a dark theme better? Not so. This not the, the the use case is not like re, you know reading a you know a document or whatever. It's 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 you know looking at a dashboard, drilling into analytics, looking at charts and graphs and things. Funny enough, I like
1: the darker themed. Dashboards. Not, nothing that, that Salesforce has ever implemented, but if, you, if I look at dashboards and I look at examples of dashboards that I somehow gravitate or feel like I can grab pieces of information really quickly, it's the darker ones. Yeah. Mainly because the dashboards tend to use color to mean something. And against the dark background, the colors, certain colors do stand out more than, say, the white and all this white light coming at me. It's harder for me to focus on any one given area of the screen. And I guess when it's dark, I feel like I can focus on this one piece and section, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, what they found was, and, and it's interesting because they, they talked about what their bias was going into the study,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what they thought the result was going to be. And I think in both cases, they were, they were wrong. Uh, in this case, people preferred the light themes. So the, the, you know, the subjects of the study preferred light, light themes, but they made decisions faster, but just as accurately With dark themes. See. They uh, made faster decisions. That kind of makes
1: sense to me because I tend to, when I'm looking at something new, for some reason the white and bright and spaceness. Does it just distract your brain? I I think what happens is as you're looking at something, these white screens, for any given amount of time, you start to fatigue just because there's so much light coming at you. And I feel like when you first see it, it's fine and you're good with it, mm-hmm. and you feel like you almost prefer it. But then after a while, after you keep looking, it's, it's why I always use the dark theme of my coding. After, I like my the coding. light, my coding. <laughs> 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 I like the light theme. I like having code on, on white backgrounds, but after a while, I can't take it. And so I've, I've, you know, I've gotten into just dark themes because I can only handle that for a certain amount of time. And if I'm going to look at it for any length of time, I need it to be a dark theme.
0: Yeah I've preferred that I like dark themes too that I do I will have to switch to light themes sometimes so if I'm in a like in a room or somewhere where the, there's like a window or reflections behind me mm-hmm. it just does all drive you nuts on these glossy screens yeah
1: I mean I almost prefer the aesthetic of having the white background with the text I I like the way that looks I like the way it feels but after a while I just can't look at it anymore yeah it's also so funny that the the, the, thir- the dark theme isn't really a preference more so than a I don't know a matter of function or a matter of the fact that I'm going to be staring at it for so long yeah
0: yeah. you know how um, Scott Wells does these um, he'll do all, all kinds of little quick videos just showing features of illuminated cloud mm-hmm. and, he, and he always has a, a white background Yeah, and it always throws me off I'm like it just it takes my brain a second to be like oh that's illuminated cloud it's just you know, I'm just <laughs> not I'm like, I forget that it's available in a, <laughs> in a in a light theme yeah and then I and then I always look at it and I go hmm I might like that better I do it's, like but it. But it's the grass is, I think it's the grass is greener. No,
1: I, I, I think what it is, is is I think we all do prefer it. I think we all do like it. But f- I think staring at that much light coming at us all day, it starts to fatigue us a lot easier.
0: Maybe it's too many photons to the retina. Maybe. Huh. That's,
1: that's always been, imagine. that's always been how I looked at it because I do like white backgrounds. I do like, have it, I mean, for the longest time in Visual Studio, I, it was the light theme. I never used a dark theme, but as I as I started using darker themes, I realized I could look at it longer. My eyes weren't as strained. I, I didn't feel as tired as I did with having all the the white glaring at me.
0: Um, I could be just totally wrong on this, but <clears throat> I swear the the person I, I can pin it down to a person that really caused dark themes to catch on with developers, and that was. Probably 15 years ago, maybe almost 15 years ago, 12 years ago, David Hannemeyer Hansen doing his uh, uh, Rails demos when kind of Rails was new. And he'd demo it. And he always had a, he, had a, he, he was using, I think it was TextMate, a dark theme with c- colorful syntax highlighting mm-hmm. for the Ruby code. And I feel like it just snowballed after that. Could be wrong. Maybe. That's just for me, that's what I, I can look back and say that that's where it started for me.
1: I don't know where it started for yeah. me. Cuz I I remember in Visual Studio that I always had the white background. I never I never did a dark theme. Hmm. Maybe there wasn't a dark theme for Visual Studio. I don't know. I never even tried to change it. I was fine with it. I don't know. Um but then when yeah. I got into um was it Sublime? What what did I have before Sublime? Textmate. No, it was bef- it was before that. It was um, Before Textmate? Yeah. The Strawberry Smoltron?
0: Oh, that yeah, that was the free was well, that Oh, Smalltron, yeah, that was just yeah. that was a really basic text editor. Yeah. Yeah. I think I started was using that
1: Text some, Wrangler's free one? Text Wrangler's free as well. I have that. I still use that today.
0: Is that, is that was that not Smalltron or was that something else? I don't know. Okay. That's something else. That was maybe yeah, edit. I,
1: text Text Wrangler, is that what you said? Or text edit? No. Well
0: but you're just Textmate. Textmate, yeah. I never used Textmate. You didn't? No. Yes, you did. You had to have. Is that the one with the purple gear icon? I think so. Perhaps purple or pink. Oh,
1: maybe. Like maybe I did. I think you did. I've used so many text editors I know. on <laughs> they, they, were, they were like the flavor of the
0: month for me. And I was I, using I'm all kinds of text. I'm getting tired of this. Like I feel like I mean, why can't I use a text editor for more than a couple of years before it's just so it's such a such the old crusty thing that no one uses anymore? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean I still I'm still on Sublime. I'm just I don't know. I know how to use it. There's a lot of things about Sublime that I think are I mean, first of all, there's a lot of things about Sublime that are amazing. It's crazy fast, it's got all kinds of Weird, like esoteric features that I just learned by Googling and finding, is there a way to do this? It's like, sure enough, there is, or there's some plugin or whatever. And I mean, I can just do crazy stuff that it's just like, wow, you can do that with a text editor. But it's also got things that are just, it makes certain things super hard. Like it's like creating new, I don't know, if like creating new files, just file and directory management in it is just like, it's so crappy moving. It's I think like, some of the newer text editors don't have, like, I have to pop over to Finder that. to do these things. And it's just, like, I don't know, but yeah. Um, but now, now, now it's you know, VS Code. It's it seems to be really popular. I use Atom. I have VS Code, but I don't really use it very often. So I use TextWrangler, Atom, and then. See, I feel like out of the out of the electron based ones, that VS Code really has pulled away. Is that you feel that way? Oh yeah. In terms of at least popularity, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there was one other conclusion on that on Salesforce's study of colors, which was that uh, people like okay. Let me try to explain this, at least the way I understand it. Let's say you have a bar chart, and it's got, you know, eight bars. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do you color those bars? Do you do maybe like a, a a light blue to dark blue gradient, you know, real pleasing, you know, mid-tone pastel? But a single color, like light blue to dark blue, or, or you know. So each bar would have its own color, Light orange, but, uh-huh. but yeah, gradient? Yeah. No, no, each, each color, like, it, if you look at the eight bars, uh, you know. To all together mm-hmm. they kind of gradient from a, a light blue to a dark blue so the first bar will be the lightest blue next bar will be just a shade darker next bar a shade darker than that right N- not that each individual bar is, has a gradient they don't okay um, so is that more pleasing or is um, like non-gradient so like the first bar is blue next bar is orange next bar is green like around the color wheel type of thing kind of and let's see what do they figure out People like charts with a gradually changing color, but non-gradual changing are is more effective. People just read the read it better; they perceive it faster and more accurately. But the weird, yeah. So that's interesting. And so Salesforce, out of that, they decided to go with that non-gradual, which, which makes see. sense. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think one thing I didn't mention about the the previous one, the light theme versus dark theme, is even though people made decisions faster with just the same amount of accuracy with dark theme, Salesforce chose to go with a the light theme because people perceived it as ha- having a higher value, meaning they're willing to pay more for it. So yeah. Salesforce went with the light theme. Now, I believe you can change it. I don't ever use analytics, but I, be, um, I think, uh, they, you know, according to this article, it sounds like it's an option. You can de- default to the light theme, mm-hmm. but you can change it to dark. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Defaulted to the
0: one that makes everyone all excited to yeah. buy it, and then let people change it when they get yeah, tired of it. Right. I mean, I think if I think if people perceive the light one being more valuable, then kind of by definition, it demos better, right? It well, I think obviously sells to, better to like like the glow effect.
1: Like you just see, it just looks like it's glowing at you. It's just all this light coming at you. Yeah. But when you're really
0: trying to study something, all that light can just kind of really fatigue you, right? I think. And dark seems, you know, sinister and scary. Whereas light seems, especially with these kind can, of can soft pastel y, you know, mid saturated <coughs> colors they use, which they're, I think, you know, they're really good at that stuff. Obviously, they're, they have color experts. They're commissioning color studies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but those, um, they're just, they, they, yeah, they seem happy and safe. And like you're not going to hurt yourself <laughs> with it. <laughs> Nothing bad's going to happen. No one's going to jump out from the bottom corner of your screen and a clown face a scary clown face is going to pop up or something. <laughs> Yeah, but you need the dark theme for your cool war room look. That's true. I know, know, the yeah. dark room with the big screens and yep. everything. Yeah, yeah. Because if you, yeah, you can't have a bunch of light screens up there. It light the room up too much. Yeah, It'd ruin it. Yeah. And any any cheesy network TV show director knows these things, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but if Salesforce cares about the environment, they'd use dark themes.
0: Use less they, power. They do use less power. Is that on all? Is that on all screen types? Probably so. Right. Yeah, I mean, because it's well,
1: yeah, it should. I mean, black is pretty much off. The only reason you don't get true black
0: on non like OLED is because of the the light bleed. Like I know, a lot of things don't use. Um, What was the um, what was that Texas Instruments technology? DLP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I found this fascinating about DLP. This is this is really off in the weeds, so whatever. But so the way DLP worked was there was a chip, and that chip had it looks like a like a processor that you'd put in like a, you know, when processor used to be this just flat squares, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting on a, looks like a motherboard, except in the middle of it, it's got glass over to protect it. But there's a grid of like, a, depending on the resolution, you know, somewhere in the millions of just these little, you can't see them by the, in the naked eye, really, but these little gates that open or close or they change their angle. Mm-hmm. And, if they point at there's two only two angles they got. <clears throat> it's literally it's binary, right? And if they point at one angle, that's full white. And if they point at another angle, that's full dark, full black. Um, and if you want like tones in between, then it 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 uh, fluctuates at a certain frequency to achieve a certain great grayscale level. Oh, interesting. Yep. And so, <laughs> it might change you know a thousand times in a second, but if you want like 60% gray, for example, like, you know, it'd be, it'd be 60% showing you the white, the other 40% of those showing you um, black. But if it does a number of times per second, we can't perceive that. All we see is the gray. Hmm. And you mix in with that. And this is just black and white. This is actually, it's, you know, it's, it, and, and it encompasses a gray scale with the, with the fast changing. But then you run it through the color wheel and it, and it actually only lights up when, when the, because the color wheel spins super fast too. But this, DLP operates so fast, it can, it can only light up when it's like, let's say the pixel is green. It'll, it, when the color wheel is not on green, it's just off. Anyway, this, and these things happen so many times per second, you don't perceive it. It looks like a, you, know, you get this great picture. I mean, DLP was a great picture. But that all to say, <laughs> digging myself out of this rat hole, that when it was showing you black, it wasn't. It doesn't have any ability to turn like that pixel off or anything. You have it. You actually with DLP, you have a just a big giant light bulb. No, a it's, big it's light source going. What it does is it's reflecting. And you think, well, gosh, that's a lot of. If it's just reflecting that light off screen, so you can't see it, that's a lot of it's wasted energy, and, the, and that surely would build up a lot of heat. Well, there's um, they all have a. I mean, any DLP projector or TV, or whatever, has a, a heat sink built into it, and so it it. On, anytime it's on black, it's 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 actually reflecting the light toward to this off screen heat sink. Mm. And then it's got, you know, you have a fan or something on the heat sink that's, that's getting the heat out of the out of the product. But that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that's how they worked. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I mean, I had to, I, I don't know. I don't know where I learned this, but I, partly why I know a little bit about DLP is because I had to replace the DLP chip on my television. Because what happened was I started getting, it was mainly, I think they were, I can't remember if they were black spots or white spots. I think it's black spots on my, t- and I have, you know, that's it's pretty big TV. And I'm like, these just all of a sudden I got a black spot. I was like, well, that's weird. Hmm. I actually thought it was like a piece of dust or something, maybe the gun. But then, you know, they would have like three, and, it, and then every day I get like exponentially more black dots, and I started getting some white dots. And what it was is those little gates where they just just froze, whatever position they were in, just stuck. And I don't know, supposedly there was a batch of defective ones where well, that can that can just happen with DLP. I mean, the chip can go bad. Maybe it wasn't getting cooled well enough, or yeah, whatever. But now I was able to find the right chip and took my TV apart and. This motherboard out and had to unplug 8,000. I had to take, I took a ton of photos right <laughs> before I unplugged anything because I had to document how to put this thing back together. Well, I bet that TV doesn't have an Energy Star rating. <laughs> Not anymore, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I took that whole thing apart, replaced the chip, plugged everything back in together, and I turned the TV on and I booted right up and it had a working TV. And I, I mean, I was, I've never been so shocked. And also proud of myself at the same time. I'm like, first of all, I can't believe this TV works after all that. And second of all, man, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, because that would be one massive brick.
1: It... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. I mean, what do you do
0: with those when you have to get rid of them? I mean, who? no one how, – how, how, where do you find I mean, someone they, to there's, take those? There's I think there's, you can break that down into two questions. What are you supposed to do with them and what actually ends up happening with them? Probably, probably another landfills, but I yeah. think there's there's because it's basically a computer in there. I mean, like computers supposedly have things that are supposed to be like that are that are part of the either the PCB or the printing process or something that you're supposed that you're supposed to get supposed to be recycled in a certain way. Mm-hmm. They've also got some gold, you know, the gold traces and whatever that I don't know. I mean, they I think they try to melt that down. I don't know if it's even worth it or not.
1: They send it to some third world country where they ruin their environment yes, by they, breaking
0: that stuff yeah. down. We don't. Yeah, we don't put it in our landfills. We put it in third world countries landfills. <laughs> All right, John, well, I'll I'll let you get to your uh, release notes. No, your stories or, are good. They're well, pretty I'm, I'm just, that's, that's, all, that's all I had lined up. Yeah. Well, shoot, now it's my show. Yeah, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You said you had release note stuff you wanted to talk about. Yeah, we can I really. That. I looked at some some of the release notes, but I don't know, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I only
1: picked out like a few highlights. I really skimmed them at the time, and it's been a few weeks since I last skimmed them, so... So I we'll just I've, go
0: with what I got. I have PTSD from releasing so I actually I don't. I th- know, it's like looking at my checking account. I it gives me, I have PTSD from, <laughs> so I don't even like to look at it. <laughs> why do you get? Usually, you're getting new features. Why? Why does it make you upset? And no, because I had this problem of I'd always go right to the developer section and I'm looking for. Oh, because you're always looking for namespaces. Yes. I'm looking for namespaces. I see namespaces or, we're like, to or like, hey, we fixed the metadata problem, or we fixed deployments, and I've just, I've done that for I don't know, 20, 30 times now, and I'm just yeah. I'm done with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's still a lot of things that frustrate me. I've, 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 I've
1: actually had to do a lot more lightning components recently, and I'm, st- I'm still struggling with certain things. Um, one, one issue that I keep having to work around is I can't send an array of data to my Apex controller. I have to, I have to turn it into a JSON string, and then deserialize it on mm-hmm. the other end because it's some, for some reason something in the the actual framework that, that passes that data to Apex errors out and you get this weird internal error is this a lightning or a visual force in lightning okay yeah okay. so from my lightning controller to my Apex controller when I'm trying to transfer an array of data it chokes yeah. uh, and I'd forgotten that because I hadn't done it in a while and then I was like oh why am I getting this error why can't I pass this data
0: and I was like oh yeah I remember yeah uh, so it blows my mind that we have, with Lightning nowadays, we have controllers for our controllers. <laughs> <laughs> you we have dog, controllers, are- <laughs>
1: we have helper controllers, and then we have Apex controllers. It's like, yo, dog, I heard you like controllers. <laughs> <laughs> so I've made controllers for your controllers. Yeah. Oh, and don't do this, because I, I did this, and I, I know not to do this. Do not name your Apex controller method the same name as your... JavaScript controller method. That is
0: that's ridiculous if you do it, that.
1: I did it and it I ran into a So well, that's gotta be a super common limits. thing to do. I, it must be, but i I've, I yeah, did I just, it and I was like, why is this happening? I was like, oh crap, I named it the same thing.
0: I, I forgot. mean, do you do you need to not maybe you need just need to namespace your Apex controller? Like instead of just calling the method name, you call like the controller. Names, they're they're all
1: namespaced under C or or it's either C or your cust or if you have a namespace defined for your org. Yeah then you would use that for the namespace. I just wonder, I mean was the javascript controller just calling its own method,
0: you know, recursively?
1: Well, so the Java, the way you access the javascript method is c. Dot your method name. Mm-hmm. That's how you get your that's how you access your method, your javascript controller method.
0: You have control over that or is the identifier
1: always c? It's always c. Yeah, you get to v and c. Weird. So <laughs> <just> so weird. <laughs> and you just have to know that. You just have to know which one is v and which one's c. What is v? V is like your page yeah. variable um yeah, your page variables. Huh.
0: Page variables. Okay. Yeah.
1: So if you create an attribute in your lightning component and you give it a name and how you reference that in and all your other code is with a V. Yeah. V dot whatever. Okay. Um so what was I saying? Oh, so yeah. I and I and to access the controller method, your Apex controller method, you have to you have to call, you have to tell the component to get this method and it's C dot whatever the name is. And so It'll, it, you end up calling the same method over and over. It ends up being your JavaScript controller method until it all breaks. So, Don't do that. Totally falling down
0: on my duties here, Don. I totally forgot that oh, we, have beer. we have beer. My story drove you to drinking, huh? It did. It's like, I'm done with this, John. Gotta have a beer. Now, this is, um. look at that. I made this beer. And this is beer that tastes like beer.
1: You want a beer that tastes like beer, John? I do. It's not going to taste like orange juice like no. usual?
0: <laughs> Why is that such a large pour? It's just a pint. So this is a... Hey, that p- tastes like beer. <laughs> this is a Pilsner. I, I'm starting to get into... You know, lagers are... People don't realize this, but these old, old-timey old beers that taste like beer, lagers, are some of the hardest beers to make. The, the flavors are so delicate that any any process problem... Or ingredient problem or anything that you have is going to show through. You're going to notice it.
1: No, that's why you drink them super cold. That's right. So you don't taste any of the
0: right impurities. And also, you know, you have to you have to have more facilities. You have to be able to control your fermentation temperature more. Lagers you have to ferment like around you know 45 to 50 degrees. You've got to have refrigeration or something. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just don't have that. So that's why a lot of homebrewers don't make lagers. But this one, um, I dry hopped it with a hop called, it's either Sapphire or Saphir. I've heard people say Saphir because it's not spelled like Sapphire. It's S-A-P-H-I-R. There's no E on the end. Mm-hmm. And it's a German, it's a German hop. And it was developed, I think in the 80s. So it's, it's not young, but it's not near as old as like, you know, the, the old school, noble German hops. But I got the idea just from, it's, it's almost a, kind of a clone of um, Firestone Walker's Peebo Pills. I happen to know that they, they dry hop theirs with Saphir. And I really like that beer. So I was like, oh, no, yeah, I'll give that a shot. Hmm. So, you get that, that that floralness if you get that, is kind of from that. But also, one thing I liked about this beer is I've been calling it like a cracker or, or bread, but the other night we were drinking with our neighbors and um, I gave uh, this beer to this lady and she's like, Oh, I, I love the tortilla chips on this. I'm like, Oh, it is kind of tortilla chip. Maybe that's yeah. what it
1: is. Now I can't get that out of my head. I would have said something like bread or like a cracker, like you said, but
0: yeah, as soon as you said tortilla chips, I'm like, Yeah, I get it. I mean, it really, wow. This would be great with Mexican food, or w- or would you not be able to taste the tortilla chip in it because you're actually eating tortilla chips? They would complement it, maybe so. You, think? you get that bready thing to go with nachos, yeah. Now I want nachos, and it's weird, you know people also like. I'll listen to Humbers talking about how they made a Mexican lager or, or like a Mexican light lager or uh, whatever, and I'm just like uh, that is so weird because I feel like if you look at the Mexican beers, I mean they're all descended from. I think actually from what the Americans were doing with German beers. So it's, the Mexicans are doing German styles, but they're via America, or via the United States, I think, in a way. Hmm. So, I mean, look at, um, look at, you know, your most popular light uh, Mexican beers. Those are, those are basically based on Pilsners or or Hellas. Both, both uh, well, either Czech or German styles. And then you've got, like, uh, Negro Modelo and Dos Equis Amber. I mean, these are, Basically Vienna lagers. So
1: what's my Tecate? That,
0: that's a that's a light color, right? That's, yeah. it's probably probably you know Pilsner or Helles. I think that was the first beer I ever drank. Snuck. Oh, the first one I drank was a Coors Light, the Silver Bullet. All right, John. Release notes. I've given you plenty of time to get your stuff together.
1: It's together. Okay, let's go. It's here. I've been talking. Uh, so we're getting a new URL format. We've talked about that before. A that new be format? URL format. Oh. U R L. Did I say that too fast?
0: I don't know. URL format. You two steps. You've already slurring your words. <laughs> don't ask me to say three sixty five. <laughs> a new URL <laughs> format. Oh, you just mean for like various URLs within the application? Yeah, because uh, we've talked about it before. They, they're changing the URL scheme
1: on on. This lightning. Is lightning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It had like it would have like object and then. It just had this weird path. One was in it at some point.
0: Now, can they not do like redirect so that your old URLs always still work?
1: They are. They are. But okay. the format's changing, and it, okay. they're just letting you know the format's changing. Yeah. And, and that is a big deal. Gonna, it is a big deal. Um, it's it's mainly a big deal for anyone who's kind of parsing the URL. So that's going to change. And if you're parsing to try to pull
0: information out, then it's going to impact your parsing. It's it's weird. I mean, um, you know, the fact that web applications like where they 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 literally like wear almost not literally yeah you said incorrectly sorry but they they kind of wear their state on their sleeve and that you have this because of just this artifact of the web and how http works mm-hmm. you can see in the in the url like the the in kind of encoded state of the application kind of like what you know what page it's on and like what Parameters were passed in, or whatever, and or even like you can see like the hash state. Well, yeah, because we're in this world of single page applications, but and in, it's got to know where to go in that application, right? But it, but in in any other kind of app, you know mobile apps, you know traditional desktop apps, like they don't, there's no thing like that. You, you can go up there and just like molest and modify, and do whatever you want with, <laughs> you know, to try to like get to try to jump to certain places in the app, right? But that's totally how we operate web apps. I mean, yeah, I all the time am going to the URL and like fudging in some like number of rows per.
1: I I tell customers all the time, yes, I can hide this on the screen, but if someone knows how to manipulate URL or or do something creative, they'll find it. And users will surprise them like, oh no, our users
0: aren't that smart. I'm like, They are. They They are. They are. are. And and it's just it's it's just a weird artifact of 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 web applications that we have this thing that people are gonna go up there and jack with and they're gonna copy and save and bookmark. Mm -hmm. And so you have to write, you have to architect your app around that to be able to to jump to and, and reconstitute the app to go to a, from close to a very specific state. But, to its benefit, I mean, that's not
1: something you could do with a traditional desktop no, application. No, there's there's benefits of it. You couldn't like link, oh, I'm right. on the screen on this record,
0: here's a link to it, so that you can get to it on right. your screen. No, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's, a, there's huge benefits to that. Yeah. But as designers and builders of applications, you have to think about what people might be doing yeah, and in Salesforce's case, you know, they're generally Salesforce is generally pretty good about URLs. I mean, they've mm-hmm. had some fantastic blunders in the past, but and this is, you know, this is one of those things that you don't want to have to do. You don't want to have to change your your URLs. And I don't think with Classic, when I mean, they never change their. I mean, they, they there probably have been ones they've changed, but for general stuff like the most important things like references to specific resources, like to right, yeah, yeah, um, but but references to a specific resource like your and a you know, uh, a certain account, a certain conduct or whatever. I mean, one of the kind of beauties of Salesforce is they're so simple. I mean, and they have also they have I d I don't know what the term there's a probably I'm sure there's a term for this. But all their different types of objects across, I'm sure, what are many tables in the Oracle database. They share they have a common uh ID domain. Is that is that the what it's called? Like so Whereas in other systems, like you might have an account of ID 234, and you might have a contact with an ID of 234. Oh, right. Because they're yeah. separate domain, ID mm-hmm. domains. I'm sure there's a better, I'm sure there's a more accurate term for that some database nerd could tell us. But in Salesforce, there's, there's just one domain. So you can just go to slash and paste an ID in mm-hmm. and it's, that's yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, there are some downsides to that too. But I mean, overall, I think it's, it's kind of, it's, that's very convenient. Yeah. That you always know if if you got an ID for something, just, Slash paste, and there you go. You're you're at that place. Yeah. But and so they've they've generally never had to change that. But now lightning is still kind of a baby, still not even feature complete. Although they're kind of forcing people to, they're getting more forceful with converting, even though it's not feature, even though it's still things that you have to do in classic or lightning. Basically, just brings classic into it. Right. <laughs> that I mean, that happens all the time. It's, like, <laughs> it's a bit annoying.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to use lightning as much as I can as as a default interface, but there are still things that I'm like, how do I do this again? And and I have realized, oh, that feature's not in Lightning. It's it's only in classic and I gotta go there to do it. Right. Um, but yeah so that's that's coming. Um that should be out. I don't like that it's got lightning in it. I feel like they probably shouldn't put any kind of branding inside of it. And I, I it's think in the URL? Yeah. I think Lightning mm-hmm. is a brand so I am not so sure I'm I, I would yeah, do that. I mean they if anyone should it just have a little bit more self-awareness. To, it doesn't seem <laughs> to add anything to it. It's like the beginning of the... So you have salesforce.com forward slash lightning, and I'm like, well, why even have that? Just chop that off. Just go straight to to your path. Why have lightning in it? So I'm not sure why that's in there, but I don't know. Maybe there's a reason.
0: Probably so, like...
1: Maybe for the routers to yeah. say, this is, this is the new URL schema, and it, it sees lightning and yeah. routes it that way. So this as soon as you see lightning, go to this router...
0: Type thing. So sometimes people call that that first thing after the the, the thing after the first slash. Th- that's called like the context path mm-hmm. or the context name. <clears throat> and usually, that's you know, you've got you you put an application, like anything be- below that is it's it's an application. And you might have a different application at a different context path. Yeah. And so maybe like the main Lightning app is at slash Lightning, but you have you might have setup at slash setup, or you might have you know some I don't know what else the um. Uh, like the the workflow designer, the the process builder designer, maybe it's on its own context path. So maybe just because they're actually the way in, just more of a how these how this different these different features are, are grouped and and actually built as applications, they're mm-hmm. actually separate applications. So it's easier to ha- put them at different context paths. Yeah, I see. I do see what you're saying though. It's like if Salesforce is Lightning and Lightning is Salesforce, then why do we have to have? Slash Lightning, yeah, but I th- I don't think it is. The problem is it's not just Lightning. There's there's what we think of Lightning is is this you know this application, but there's there's other stuff that Salesforce has to deliver to us that we use that's not really part of that same application.
1: It's, yeah, and I guess that
0: makes sense. Yeah. So I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, now. I'm I'm a little bit better with it. Now. I mean it's it's <laughs> again it's it's more work for just users. I mean when you're going to go to a certain URL or type you know you're going to type something in or paste something in, it's just it's more text that you have to type or worry about having mm-hmm. the right place because if you don't have that Slash Lightning there. It's probably not going to take you to the right place. Yeah, probably not.
1: <laughs> uh, well, speaking of URLs, uh, so they're really pushing my domain. Obviously, you can't create a. Now, tell me why they're pushing. Why is that? Why is that being pushed so hard now? I think it's just for security. I, I don't know. I think it's just it's it's better than having an instance in the URL. This is your domain. Well, this is like how you reference. One thing they could things. do so differently: if we change the instance. It doesn't matter to you. It's not a big deal like it used to be. One thing they can do differently is they can
0: scope um they can scope cookies to your domain. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before if you if you had let's say you got a uh, you have two different orgs and they both happen to be on, you know, NA35. Well, when you log into one, you just killed your session for the other. It replaced the the SID, right. the cookie value. And that's kind of a benefit of if you and, and consultants consultants deal with this a lot because they're logging into different clients orgs, right? Mm-hmm. And you can be you know you can be logged and installing in. Installing apps in the wrong order. Yeah, yeah. It's never happened to <laughs> me. I've, I've never, never done it. Nope, nope. Nope. Who who would ever do such a thing? <clears> but you could be on you, know, you know on one client's Oregon NA thirty five and another client's Oregon N A seven and it works just fine. Right. Um because they don't I think Salesforce scopes those cookies to the the NA seven, not Salesforce.com. They could do it to Salesforce.com, but you know, they choose to do it the subdomain layer. And so I guess if you know if everyone's got a custom domain, then that gives you more Specificity on on cookie scoping. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just wondering though why you know what what's the big because Salesforce is pushing that, and I'm I'm just wondering what the benefit to them is, or what they see the benefit to their customers are. You know, for for the push. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know much that that much about them. I mean, I I have always had to do them because I do a lot of community stuff, and you always have to have them for communities. But I really don't. I, don't know, I I feel like there's other reasons that they're important that I would like to know more about. Would it help in security? And this is one thought I had, and I don't know if this is a
1: valid scenario, but would it help in security in that if you had a if you were on NA35 and you had some rogue component in your instance that connected to and say another NA35 and sent it some of that data cross orgs mm-hmm. would would that be a security risk? I mean, because it wouldn't see it as a different domain; it would see it as the same domain although you wouldn't have the same session parameters but no
0: I, I, yeah you'd only have you can only have one, one session. sid yeah. cookie per cuz i always thought well maybe it's a, it's it,
1: maybe it's a better way to kind of secure the page and the components on it by locking down but i don't know
0: yeah don't, i'm sure there's a good reason for there it there is but, and, and and i wouldn't be surprised if it's a security reason there there's, there's there may be other reasons too yeah. but um, man security stuff especially with cookies i mean it, it's when you when you go looking at again i know i and i like everyone should should do this, but go to OWASP, O-W-A-S-P, dot probably org, I would imagine. And just be familiar with like, they have like a, the OWASP top 10, like the famous, like these, you know, if you don't know anything about application security and you, you know, work in SaaS or you build apps for a living, like, go at least go learn those top 10. Mm-hmm. That will get you very far. Yeah, But, what you realize is just understanding those top ten and the kind of the history of how browsers implemented things and where we're at right now. And I mean that's it's actually a constantly changing thing and it's kind of complex. So just something like cookies. I mean the fact that cookies now have so many attributes that so you can you mark cookies as uh, requiring SSL and you can mark them as HTTP only so that JavaScript can access them. And there's all just all the and you can scope them to, sub, to certain subdomains and it's just there's there's a lot of lot of stuff under that hood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you well, think you think you're gonna change well, and you pop up in your head. And you're like, nope, not gonna happen. You close it right back down. <laughs> well, the nice thing is
1: is for my domains with this next release, uh, you'll be able to change it without having to log a ticket. So that's gonna be kind of nice. Maybe it'll reduce
0: some some uh, anxiety over picking a name. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety around that. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> I watch clients struggle with that. Yeah, like oh my god, I well, gotta pick I, a name. I always, I was like, listen, so let's just, just pick a, a name, name, and if you end up not liking it, we can change it. You just you have to ask Salesforce us to do it. Yeah.
1: Well, now there's going to be a tool to let you do that. I don't know if it's going to limit you how many times you change it or not. Uh, I'm not sure how they're
0: implementing that, but we'll see. Mm. You could write yourself a little a little bash script that uh, changes it constantly. <laughs> see how many times you get away with. <laughs> I'm sure, I'd get a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Eventually.
1: Um. There's some new Einstein stuff, but that doesn't really excite me very much. So I'm like, just know there's some new Einstein stuff. Okay. Uh, they 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 added some stuff for uh, what is it? GDPR is that what it is? Yeah. Um. So the so now they'll be able to now the system will be able to obfuscate. I can never say that word. Mask. I'm just going to say mask. Uh. Your user data. So I guess you can tell that you can say, Bye. I'm leaving the company. I don't want my I don't want you to have my user data, and they can. Apparently, click click a button and it'll
0: obfuscate. I'm trying <laughs> <Close>. to <start>. use <laughs> close. I can never say that word. Obfuscate. It'll obfuscate that. No, think. There's the, think of the the, the word "foo" is in it. Ob foo, and then skate like you're skating. Ob foo skate. Obfuscate.
1: Obfuscate. That might help. That might. I'll try to think of okay. it that way. Um, but it, it'll scramble that date that user data.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's GDPR. This is one of those things like I just don't want to even think about, but I'm I have to think about it. But I just God, do I? I don't need this in my life right now. Yeah. And on top of the fact, fact fact that I think it's kind of pointless, I don't think it's it's one of these things where like, good intentions, but you know, it's legislation, so it kind of just <laughs> good intentions, bad implementation.
1: Well, to me, it's it's synonymous with our our um, do not call phone list that you can register your phone, but people still find a way to get around it and call you, and no one's enforcing it anymore. And yeah, they're calling your cell phone and everything else. So. Anyways, um, so that's there. Uh, flows, they're getting a little bit more love and attention. Um,
0: Did they ever redo their, I know, <clears throat> there, was, there was this nasty false rumor that went around for a while that uh, the Flows were going away. No, the, they were just going to redesign them. Though. I know, but like, I guess so there was, that, there, there was a, that false rumor, which was a thing. Oh. I just want to point that out. But no, the, the truth was, no, it's not going away, but they are, they are planning, I think the designer was built in Flash or something. Yeah. And so they were going to read, is that, you
1: know, if that's, uh, has that come out yet? I'm not sure if that's come out yet, but they've added they've added some debugging tools to it, which I think are great. Um, because it- before to test the flow, you basically had to create some test data and run the flow and do stuff in it, which means it's creating and doing actions. Um, so they're going to let you set some, some basically set up variables for your flow, so you can set up all these variables ahead of time and run it and test it using those variables, which gives you the ability to kind of test all these different entry points and, you know, what-if scenarios, that kind of thing. Um lightning components you'll be able to use those in, in the pages which I think is going to be great um, so if you have some kind of wizard flow or something and mm. one of it you need some custom something custom or something very specific yeah. we can build a lightning component stick it in there uh, the big one is uh, when errors happen you'll build a control who gets the error because I think uh, the big issue was that it would send the errors to whoever created it and if that person was gone mm. you couldn't how do you get the errors Yeah, you don't have the errors yeah. anymore right I'm um, still so able to do that.
0: Um that that with the fact that uh, just
1: getting getting
0: logs is yeah, just they, still They did
1: some some work on logs so it it does some more logs, some more stuff in the finer context. Okay. So you'll get a little bit more information there. Uh, and it's supposed they supposedly they they've improved the error messages so you won't get like some big generic error messages, supposed to give you more specific error messages. Um and That's let, good. let some of the error messages uh, I guess the root cause messages bubble up and show up in the log as well. Mm.
0: So I was um, doing some work and I think it was, in, I guess one of the pre-release sandboxes mm-hmm. and um seen a lot of these Oracle messages bubble up into lightning. Oh, like, you know, you get like an Oracle, like an ORA dash, whatever. Yeah. Uh, super. I mean, it shows you their, it shows you the query. Like, I think this was showing me like an insert statement or an update statement. Parameterized upstart statement. I'm just like, because that's a security problem. Like you really, I mean, and probably not a major security problem, but like you, you don't, really want, don't want to expose. Yeah, that. just yeah. you don't want to give anyone. You want to give people, as, and this is one part of the reason why Salesforce has to be careful about how much they talk about their it, how they implement things, because you're you're giving people information that can be used against you right. by bad people. And so even no, show they use a the subsystem. I know how to exploit yeah, subsystem. Yeah, exactly. Or just or just you know showing them actual table names and parameters in and your um, your uh, store procedures and it's just like stuff you don't first of all it's just kind of embarrassing first of all to show even show that stuff but it's it's yeah you just don't want people to know how stuff is implemented at, at a level that could be exploited it's a tough balancing act because I know when I've,
1: when I've written applications in the past I've I've danced with the idea is okay do I bubble up the real error which means when the error happens I can see it and I know exactly what's going on
0: or do I give the user this nice message to say oh something happened
1: no, here's, Let how, me know. here's
0: how you do it. And this is totally secure, by the way. You, on, you render the full error message on the page, but you do CSS display none. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never done that, ever. I would never <laughs> do such a thing. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> or even better, don't have it display normally. But have the foreground color be the same as the background color. And then you don't have to to look at the source code. You can just select with your mouse. Yeah. And then if you know where to drag and select with a mouse, it's like having the secret (laughs) magic lighter. It is. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to use that
1: one. Yeah. Yeah. Security tips from Jeremy. (laughs) Here's something you'll really love, Jeremy. Uh, Now you'll be able to show off all your badges as a user. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. Yeah. So when you log into your Salesforce instance, you can show off all the badges you have.
0: (laughs) I think I have a badge. Do you? I think I do. (laughs) What about you, John? Oh, you have to do badges now. Yeah, I have to do badges. I haven't done them yet, though. I'm behind. I'm trying to get work done. I know. It's like, you want to make money or do you want me to get badges? Which one is (laughs) it?
1: Uh, Track time. There's a new time field that's available now. Hmm
0: what do you mean it's a big deal though? to some people oh no it's just time yeah
1: it's there's just no, time. there's no date component it's a time this, yeah. field yeah
0: there's no date component to it so it's, it's just like yeah what it's a, it's like the wall time like what time of it's not even is it it's not even time zone based is it that's a good question I, I think know. it's like 10 a, it's just the concept of 10 a.m. not specific to any time zone it's not a point in time yeah it's a wall clock notion of time yeah so that's there which is not confusing at all <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, let's see, we talked about my domain. Um, light, there's a new Lightning Component library, and I've been using the hell out of this. It's it's much nicer. Um, so, Wait, a new Lightning Component library? It, uh, like, like a new suite of components? Like a resource library, like a, a doc Oh, system. it's a library of people? It's a doc system. It's a document resource <laughs> system. Okay. So explain, because I'm, I'm not following. They call it the... Co- it, so you have the component library. Okay. And so that you can see what the components are in the it's library. Are like these widgets of st- it's, stuff? It's a documentation thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a generic one that's available. It's like developer.salesforce.com, docs, component library, blah, blah, blah. But I think you can also access it from directly in your system, and that gives you context of things in your system as well, I believe. I might be wrong on that one. But um, anyways it it breaks out all the different components so you can see that it has all the documentation on it it has the documentation on the interfaces and the events so everything is all in one place and it's much more convenient than the what you have today with the help docs and you have that generic search bar and which is and it's incomplete it doesn't mm-hmm. have all the the guidance and everything and all the values that you need like this parameter here's the values that that parameter accepts it, yeah. you know the current docs don't always give you that so that's there um i like it and i've been using it
0: i definitely like some good documentation yeah
1: That'll be helpful when I learn lightning. <laughs> uh, so this one, it, this one, this one, I'm not a fan of, but it's happening. Um, they're updating some CSS names in the lightning component in the uh, lightning design system. So um, where they used to have underscores, now they have double dashes, and I don't know. They you can't mix those. It, like if you, they're doing like a BIM type thing, right? So the weird thing is, is they've always been on BIM. And
0: Uh, a a highly BIM influenced. Yeah, but it's not so. so The text they
1: have is uh, CSS class names uh, used by Lightning components have changed to match the block element modifier, which is BIM Mm -hmm. notation. So, even though they've been using it, I think they had instances where they weren't using it or using it incorrectly, and so they've modified them to be more in line with BIM. Um, So, the the example they give is um, the padding. So the, the the padding class mm-hmm. which is SLDS dash p dash um you can do around, vertical, horizontal, mm-hmm. and then you would do nor I think today it's um dash dash small and it becomes like underscore small instead of the double dash. So they have like
0: little utility classes like that for just padding and stuff. Yeah. How do you feel about you <clears throat> what's your theory on um how do you design CS? How do you prefer? Do you, do you like having a bunch of utility classes kind of like how Bootstrap does? They have all these little utilities for different amounts of padding or whatever or do you like a more component-based where... They have a combination of both. Yeah, they do, don't they? So but I'm just
1: wondering what you like, what you prefer. I like the combination of both. I like having yeah. the flexibility to either this is the component and this is how it's supposed to look and render or but also here's my my div that I need here but I want to conform to my the div. same spacing standards <laughs> of everything else so I want to add a padding and I want it to be a small padding and I want that to look like the same small padding that's used somewhere else But I feel like that should be built into the component style model that's I, here's my fear on com, well com, no th- I'm talking about I'm building my own component and I need to I need to enable my component to act and look like other pre-built components
0: yeah I mean I feel like you should be able to somehow inherit their CSS or something you know I, I don't know uh, but anyway I think it's ugly so I'm, I'm just I'm just speaking really broadly here but if you give the developer a library that's got you know, like a well-designed, you know, a CSS library that's got a well-designed uh, set of of classes for components that, you know, and it's, you know, you just say, hey, this is a sidebar. Mm-hmm. You know, you just give a class equal sidebar and it's got the padding, the margins, the everything you need. Like, you don't have to do about, you don't have to, in your markup, you don't have to put a bunch, of, you know, all these utility classes and in, in elements to hold utilities and then, you know, those utility classes, you just it's all designed into the component. Mm-hmm. But if you also give them utilities in addition to that, what happens? They'll just end up using a bunch of utilities. They'll, to, to hack, instead of, because sometimes you're like, oh, I can tell I'm not using this right. I, I can either figure this out or I can just shim, or shiv, in your case, I can just shiv some a uh, padding u- utility in here and it'll fit, it'll get it where I want it. When yeah. really reality, like, you just weren't using that component right. Right.
1: No, I get that. And, and that's a very true statement. And, it, and it's very much wild, wild west out there when it comes to components and styling. And especially with the combination of officially official lightning component tags that generate a component for you yeah. including all the styling and we're still dancing the line of having to use the lightning design system so like there's no activity timeline component available okay. so you have to go to lightning design system get the markup and use that well i've done that and in this release so heads up they changed that timeline mm. it now has a collapsible thing and the, the way it shows the information has this new like content area that's bordered and grayed out so that they look and feel of it has changed. And the markup has changed significantly. Um, So I'm actually... And if you were
0: styling the internals of that, then that's, is that what you're saying? That's, you're going to have to
1: restyle it? Yeah, so what happened is uh, one of my project managers said, hey, uh, their their sandbox got upgraded to the new Summer 18. I think that's what it is. And this timeline doesn't look right. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to fix that. And essentially I have to go in and
0: update a lot of the markup. Now, and the other... Popular JavaScript frameworks nowadays. The way you style components, um, let's say that you bring a third-party component onto your screen. If you attempt to style it by default, you're only styling basically its a most outer container. Um, if you 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 any any other styles that you create, you know they're not going to apply to the internal markup of that component mm-hmm. by design, actually, right? Because th- that's one of the beauty of, of components is right. You can bring them onto your screen and not worry that your existing CSS is going to bleed into them and screw them up. Right. Now, you can intentionally break that barrier yes. with, a, it's either, what is it? There's a couple of different ways you can do it, the syntax. One of them, I think, is slash deep slash, the other one was like three arrows or something, three angle brackets, mm-hmm. um, which then caused it to kind of penetrate into that component and you, lets you to. but, but I, what I like about that is, is you know, it's a very intentional thing. Like, you know what you're doing. You're not going to accidentally style inside a component. Right. And I wonder just, just sell, why would Salesforce not use something like that? Well, they kind of do. They do. I mean, Good, for, But you're saying you're having to style the internal. You're having to style the internal because, component because this
1: component doesn't exist in Lightning. So, but it does exist in the Lightning design system, which is just a, okay, a so. spec of here's the markup for this component, and here's the styles you have to apply to this component to get it to look like this. Mm. And so you copy and
0: paste the markup, and you paste it, and you manipulate it so it shows your content. Oh, so it's like here's what I. Timeline component might look like. It's markup and it's style. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting.
1: And so, because we don't have a version design system for our components, it's basically whatever the current version is, as they make changes to the the class names, to the markup, um, we have to be on our toes to go in and check it, test it, and update it. Yeah. Um, Or try to see if they've released an official component and use that instead so that we're not having to, so that hopefully we get the benefits of it updating itself over time. Okay, gotcha. So that's the thing that's happening. Um, it also means, I, I guess, from a consulting perspective, it kind of worries me because there's really no warranty work when it comes to these type of custom development. It, it, unless you have like a really good relationship with that client and you have ongoing development cycles, and you, you can notice these things, like like we did with this one client. And we could say, okay, we need to put in a fix for that, so that when the, the new release comes out, the markup looks fine. It's not, it's not all, it's not everywhere. Um, but it does kind of worry me for some of those kind of fire and forget type projects where they, oh, I just need this component to do this, and you do it, and you move on, and you haven't talked to the client in forever, and now all of a sudden it breaks because Salesforce released a new thing, which is, I don't know. I guess it could happen <laughs> with Visual Force too, depending on how you build it. It can, although Visual Force has been pretty
0: damn stable. I kind not feel like it's suffered near as many of these things.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's. I guess that's the, that's what I'm leading up to. Is it feels like at least with Visual Force, it had versioning. If you were using an Apex as well, if you were using a certain command or using it a certain way, unless it was like some kind of global change they made, it would pretty much keep working the way it was even after new releases.
0: Yeah, um, and I, you know, I've got um, I've had clients where they'll I'll maybe build an app for them. Uh, a client recently that the you know there's a mobile app that I built for them a couple of years ago, and um, you know they haven't really done much with that app since then, and they've come back recently and wanted to do something to it, and and I'm trying to explain to that I'm like okay, it's so the the world has changed so much like there's so much that's basically broken about this app because. There's things in iOS and Android that are not supported anymore. That have been deprecated, and, and all these like the frameworks and the components, everything I'm using, they've they've all been like they're basically not compatible. There's no way that you could, um, you could, you could. There's no way this thing would even build right now against current versions of, mo- of modern mobile operating systems. And so, and trying to explain this to people who are. You know, not software engineers. They've 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 not people who have not been on a team that's built a software product before. And it's it's kind of it's hard to explain. And I and maybe it's not so hard. Maybe I just need to get better at it because I feel like that's an important part of my job mm-hmm. is to is to communicate and educate like that. But it's it's hard to explain. They and even even people who I feel like probably trust me, they're still they're very skeptical of this idea that that the software, even though they've done nothing to it, can just rot. Yeah. And it just does. And it's very hard to explain this to people. Yeah.
1: that's, that's going to be... Did you hear that Apple Tangent... And um, I guess in iOS... What's, what's the next iOS version? 12, 13,
0: 12? Uh, it should be 12, right?
1: 12. <clears throat> that They're, they're not going to let you update your applications unless you support the new resolutions. The OS ten resolutions. So you can't go to the next major version of iOS? And, you no, you, like, as an application maker. Yeah? Before you, mm-hmm. If you want to release a new version of your application... It has to support the new SDK and in tangent also support the new resolutions, otherwise they're not going to let you update your app yeah or send release an update
0: I think that I guess the problem is that there's just enough different sizes of iOS devices and they're probably also kind of at this point they're communicating that we might have additional sizes of iOS devices and oh yeah, well really what they've been communicating over the past several years is is don't do anything that's like device-size specific. Don't assume you know, a certain amount of pixels. Use auto layout. Use these. Use yeah, Everything should be squishy.
1: Well, I think the main issue with the OS ten is the notch, and so you're having to accommodate that notch. But you really, as a developer, you can't put anything up there, right? So Yeah, your, your content ends up behind the notch.
0: Does it? No, 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 because... Hang on. Well, hang on. Let, let's be... So, in some cases, yes, but in general, like, um, f- let's say you know you're not watching a full screen video or anything like that, your content is not in the notch because the notch holds the title bar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you that's really outside of your content, your app's uh, boundary. So, like games for some for
1: certain applications, if they go will full take screen. Over, yeah, if you go over full over screen, and screen, yeah, right, yeah,
0: yeah. If you go full screen uh, and you hide, um, yeah, you can take, you can, you can choose to take over that. Yeah. Title bar is that what it's called? I think it. I think so. yeah. Sure, why not? So you know the thing at the, the bar at the top that holds like the your, your time and your your battery status and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. I didn't think about that. So you you are gonna yeah you have to just if no there might be a notch there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't don't put any major uh, gaming component there or or, or HUD there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so locker service uh, they're enabling the eval function. I think it's pretty brave. I'm sure it's a a uh, proctored eval.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't think it's the. I think it's a safe eval, or yeah. it's a yeah. Oh, this whole lightning service—it's—it's—it's it's, it's actually kind of fascinating. I mean, I think they've done some interesting things with it, engineering-wise. And I guess it's something they they had to do. Um, there's so many things that are interesting about it. The one is that <laughs> you can kind of opt out of the lightning service as long as you. Uh what is it? If you Oh if as long as you set your, your API to thirty nine or less. Right. Something like that. Yeah, but I thought you, don't you even... couldn't create new ones I think in you, that version. You can you not? I think I you can. Oh maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean don't ask me it's lightning, right? So it's the biggest lightning dummy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, not like, ready. it's, it's not ready it's like instead instead of uh <laughs> instead of um staying at a Holiday Express, it's like um you know, I don't know anything about lightning, but I did go to Trailhead DX. <laughs> and I sat in some sessions where they talked about this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a love-hate relationship. I mean, it
1: can be pretty painful in a lot of ways, but there are ways where, uh, like today I did a demo of a component that I made a quick action, but I don't want it to be a quick action anymore because I don't like the way the quick action modal window works. So when you do a quick action modal, you get the header and you get a, a footer bar, but you can't add your buttons to that footer bar. Um. So you have this nice little cancel button to close the window, but you can't add like a save or do this or do that down there. So you end up having to put it in your content. Well, that's dumb. It doesn't yep. make sense. Yep. So so you can do quick action without header, but then you have to do all the markup. But the problem is the modal window adds its own padding. So now your your crap ends up like this neutered, <laughs> like little space thing with a border and it looks yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Inter- it was really Enterprise easy. Enterprise for, software. <laughs> so when I discovered that it was really easy for me to say okay I'm calling quits on quick action and I just I created a tab on the actual page and drug my component in there so I was like oh well it's times like that where it's nice where you can say I have this component it has all its functionality but I can I can leverage it in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places it doesn't I didn't code it to be a quick action now I have to start over because I coded it for quick action
0: so yeah it turns out the software use is a very hard thing to accomplish <laughs> Uh let's see.
1: <sighs> a switch statement. We gotta say that. If we're gonna yeah, highlight yes, things. So we're getting a switch statement.
0: And you can uh it's got some interesting features to it. It's not just your standard switch statement. Right. So first of all, you can obviously you can switch on integer. Can you switch on string? Mm-hmm. That was uh that was a it's a it's a that it, was an innovation that the even that took Java until like, what well, when what do you switch on string? Like Java six, maybe or seven? I mean it t- took twenty years to get switched on string. Oh, well it goes one step further <clears> and it can um it can uh, switch on object prob- type. Yeah, switch on object type, which I thought was an uh, an innovative implementation yeah. of switch. I, you can probably switch on enum. I would imagine. Hopefully, oh, please say yes. If not, that's that was a big miss oh, um, oversight. Oh, you should be able to. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a it's a very common
1: thing. It's a classic use yeah. case for switch, right? Yeah. Um, Get rid of some if else statements that I got. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting enough, and we got to have uh, Chris Peterson on to talk about this. I had mentioned, because I had asked the question in our Slack, if anyone knew if this was backwards compatible. Meaning, if I am uh, if I have a, a piece of Apex code that's on version 39, can I use a switch statement? Is this a globally accessible thing in the language? No. Or so, do I have to no. be on version 41 or 42 or
0: whatever we're on to, to use that switch now, statement? Now, it's always, if, so Salesforce was smart. It's always been a reserved word, I believe. So, yeah. So, you can take your. You can be confident that you can take your version thirty four code and just change it to version whatever the current one is. What is the current one? I don't know. Whatever the current one happens to be at the time, and because you were never allowed to use the the keyword switch, you're not gonna you're not gonna run into something weird, right? Well, uh,
1: here, here's why I bring that up because I said or in my question I said, "Is it backwards compatible, or do I have to change my version of my class to the most latest version?" And he said a conversation we should have some time is why that would be more pain than it's worth to up, to upgrade my my classes.
0: So I'm wondering if there's... He, yeah, he's saying not even, don't even move them. It's not... Yes. Yeah, that, is, that isn't actually... That would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah. We should have him on.
1: Is it just like a, a... Like, you don't really want to do that. It's not going to buy you much value. Or is it... There's something about the way the system handles that 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 might might yeah. be more pain than it's worth. Um, so
0: also, that, um, and I'm, I'm sure that Scott's already thinking about this. People already recommended this, but... Scott could add something to Illuminate Cloud where, uh, like, the, I can't remember what IntelliJ calls them, but there's like these little suggestions it'll do. So it does these in J- like Java and Kotlin and even JavaScript, I think. Um, but if you've, let's say you've got um, a, a bunch of like if and then else if, else if, else if. If it sees that you're testing on the same like value or something, IntelliJ, will say, oh, why don't you turn that into a switch statement? You know, I want to say that I, s- But I think Scott would have to add support for that. I think he might be. I I, don't don't
1: quote me on that. But I thought I saw something about some new inspection things. And if you just hit all inspection and suggestions, he was adding.
0: It just poof, does it all for you? Maybe it's really cool. I I use that all the time.
1: All right, so here's here's another one that I'm really excited about. Bye bye record type util class. What is record type util? It's a class that I have to write every single time. What does it do? Because, well, because we've always had the, well, not always, but in past releases, we got a describe record type method that would let you access record types without querying involving a query. Basically, you could say, give me the record type for this object, but, and you could get a map and say, okay, give me the map of these record types, but it used the name, not the developer name. And so I've always had to write, continue to write a record type util class that would create a map or of everything by developer name. Yeah. Well, in this release coming up, we'll be able to get the, the the map by developer name. So I won't have to do that anymore, thankfully. So I don't have to incur that expense of a query every yeah. time I need to get a record type. Or cache it, whatever I have to do, singleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sockle count. we talked about that um, a while ago. Which one was that? Remind me. Um, so whenever you do a count and oh, aggregate count. Oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. they don't, what is it? it that counts one, the records don't count. It counts for you? every result. So if, if it's like count group by account name and there's three results, then it counts as three. Whereas before it would count everything involved in that. So if it was if it was three records or three total aggregates, but each one of those represents ten,
0: it wouldn't be a It'd count be 30. of thirty against you. It would yeah. be a count of three against you. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I like that's more fair too. Yeah. I mean I know that the the database actually has to has to do some work there, but I mean, come on. It's come on, man. It's 2018, man. I know, exactly. It's current year, man. That's a pretty good Jeremy impersonation there, John. That <laughs> sounds just like that, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, your, 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 uh, your Apex code can be bigger now. They upped the limit from 3 megs to 6 megs. Of total code. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, that that's, um, yeah, that's... But apparently it's not enough, because in the note they said, if you, if you were approved for a limit higher than 6, it'll stay. I think
0: yeah, I've got orgs that are I think ten. I know we've expanded past three and I think they yeah bumped me, bumped us. That's some that's a lot of code. It is a lot of code. I mean
1: certainly in the How big is uh um Financial Force uh the enterprise libraries. How
0: I don't know. But I'm I don't know but I'm it's gotta be two megs. I wouldn't be surprised if a typical financial force implementation. I mean, the the amount of code if you added it all up would be definitely in the megabytes. Yeah and and you know, the, 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 you know god god help you if you do have that much code because it causes so many problems um you can't like a lot of the ui stuff actually for for navigating through classes and things like that and setup just don't basically stop working mm-hmm. um a lot of the tooling stuff there's things where and it doesn't matter which of the tool, which tooling you use whether it's intellij or or illuminated cloud or or salesforce there are things that for example like um Oh, like it had to do with like the metadata containers mm-hmm. that are, you know, they're like uh, O of n. They're what? O of n. It's a big O notation. Oh, okay. And uh, based on and n is the like the number of classes you have. <laughs> so, so things that because I've I've had to, I've I've had this problem recently, where just to deploy like a small like apex class change for a, to a small class. Will take 30, 20, 25, 30 seconds. But if you, look in the, if you look at the actual logs of the tool you're using, you'll see that saving the actual Apex class took like a second. But like deleting or creating a metadata container took 25 seconds. Oh. And it's because of the number of classes in this org. And so it just, all, all development, I mean, it's just, it's like a tax this client pays. It just like takes forever to do things. <laughs> Enterprise computing.
1: Go cloud. <laughs> All right. Uh so we heard about this in tra- at Trailhead. Trailhead
0: X. I'm just gonna say Trailhead.
1: Can I just say Trailhead?
0: You guys know what I'm I mean, saying. Uh, that's a that's that's a different thing though.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think you have to have, I think you have to say Trailhead. Can I just X, say uh, DX? Yeah. Um no. no. You can't. Darn. That's a thing too. TDX?
1: Yes, you can say that. You can say TDX. All right. So we heard about this at TDX uh uh the metadata coverage. So for your instance, you you'll have access to a link that will let you see what the what your instance supports metadata wise. It's kind of odd. These are kind of global things that are supported by the platform, but they're trying to make it centric to your instance. So I wonder is is there a scenario being created here where Salesforce might
0: have different instances with different capabilities? Well, I think I'm not actually sure what you're talking about, but perhaps it's you know depending on what edition you have or what features you've decided to bolt onto your edition, but you've bought a uh, la carte. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's really why, important for ISVs. That's why, yeah, yeah, to check to see if something's available. Yeah, so this is
1: this is that tool that we we saw at that um, at one of the sessions, the keynote, I think the developer keynote that we saw where they they'll actually show you what metadata types are supported in DX or what metadata su- support they have for features. So we know there's a number of features that aren't supported in the metadata and this is cataloging everything that is supported and not supported.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's what that is. Uh, debugging is getting some attention. We get larger debug s- sizes. Um, it looks like the limit has been increased from 2 megs to 5 megs. Um, you can store up to 250 megs in the, in the entirety in the system and logs are now going to be deleted automatically after 24 hours after, instead of 7 days, which I welcome. You I don't see, need them for did that. You see long?
0: the post that someone put in Slack the other day about no. this? So they're trying to debug and with the debugger open or whatever it was and they're getting this message that hey, you've got 369 meg used of your 250 meg so we can't let you debug anything. Oh. And it's also and this person also posted a screenshot of the fact that they had there are no debug logs in Salesforce stored or that or even visible. Like when you go to the, to view the logs, there's none there. They're, they've all been removed, but it's still saying Give you 369 of your 250 megs. So this person good to do no no debugging. So there's likely a bug in the system somewhere that's not clear. They need that. to debug the debugging. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh there's something about um being able to parse debug logs more more effectively. I'm not really sure, but there it has something to do with the the replay debugger that's coming out. I think it's gonna come out in a beta. I'm not sure if it's gonna be in this release or the next release, but they they have that that whole um they can't give you live debugging like we can with other languages where you can step through and see things happening and variable assignments happen, but what they can do is record it and let you play it back, which, it, it's not a bad idea.
0: It's gives Those, us those logs need. can get really huge, though, but yeah,
1: yeah I mean. Um, so that's the
0: thing that's going to be coming. Uh, and then the
1: last thing I made a note of is uh, force.com IDE2 It's discontinued.
0: Right, they just like abandoned it. Like, they never got out of beta. Yeah. They're like yeah. Visual Studio Code. Yeah. Little God never had a chance. Actually, I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> it, 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 you know, now what I, are they? What are they going to do with their people now who have Eclipse, you know, platform development skills? They're developers.
1: They that's weren't. E- they weren't like Eclipse only platform specific developers,
0: right? Definitely. That's not a good thing, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a good right. point you're making there, John. I, mean, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get it. I get it. Yeah. Poke, poke. are so subtle. Yeah.
1: So, anyways, th- those were my highlights. There, there's a bunch more in there. Obviously, it's it's a huge thing, and there's a lot of stuff uh, for admins and config and point and click. But obviously, I just picked up things that interested me.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're uh, well over an hour. Gosh, we're we're closer to the two hour mark at this point. It's not my fault. This is a really exciting episode of uh, reading through the, <laughs> the release notes. <laughs> But you get, you get our witty commentary along with it, so it makes it worth it, right? Makes it palatable. Along with this. That, that's, along what you, with this that's what you guys
1: pay us for. Our witty commentary. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Well, anything else going on? Um, I would be... Yeah, the Austin thing. Um, what's that called? Texas Dreamin'. Texas Dreamin'. When is that? Oh, I have no clue. <laughs> it's in June. Because I've already got travel booked in June. I'm not, I'm not sure
1: I'll make that one. Uh, it is June 14th and 15th. Okay. Um, and yet
0: you've got a couple of talks there? I doing? do have a
1: couple of talks. Um, one of them is going to be on modular code, and then the other one is on... What's the other one on? Oh, accessibility. Lightning Design System and Accessibility. Mm.
0: So Interesting. Yeah. Accessib- is Lightning accessible? It is. Is it? Because I use a certain, certain someone's tools to enter... Uh, certain types of data at the end of every month, and that thing half the time it you can keep you can do keyboard, and this is just a standard lightning thing. <laughs> Sometimes keyboarding works only, but a lot of times it does not work. And it did, I don't know what I don't know if it did, there do but when a, a certain hot pat, you know patch has gone through or whatever, but I mean a lot of the times you can I cannot use lightning with a keyboard. I have to pull the mouse out and start clicking around. It's mm, interesting. Yeah, this time um, there was it had this had to be a bug. I, I tab into a calendar field and I just want to type the count cal- I just want to type the date in calendar pops that. up yeah Calendar pops up automatically so I hit escape and the whole this was like a modal dialogue a modal lightning thing the that goes away that's what escaped away but now I have this calendar right that is a zombie calendar now that I can't get rid of yeah but I've lost my modal I lost all my work and then I, I open back up and sure enough it just does the same thing over and over and I just I had to use the keyboard. Yeah, that one is a bit of an issue. Um, I've run into that, too, where even,
1: even when the modal pops up and I'm just trying to change the value, but the modal's up and expects me to click on something.
0: Uh, I'm like, you know, I use Lightning for three minutes a month, and I hit accessibility issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. Okay. I'm fascinated to hear your story about Lightning's accessibility. We'll, well come join us in Texas Dream and we can talk I about might, it yeah. I don't know if you'll sh- share a room with me I don't want to I'm not yeah
1: yeah we can bunk if you don't mind spooning <laughs> Um. so yeah that's all I got cool alright well Um. yeah
0: any other uh, dates announcements we got any uh, yes your birthday's coming up this oh, weekend oh it is yeah you're right
1: Jeremy's an older older man I am. yet another revolution around the sun yeah I won't be here this weekend, though, so sorry about that. Mm. When I come back next week, going? we'll go to Galveston. My nephew's graduating okay. college. So really proud of him. Congratulations, JJ, if you hear yeah. me. I'm sure he's listening. Congratulations for making it this far in the episode. Yeah.
0: That's true. Yep. All right. Um, Join our Slack. GooddaySirPodcast.com. Click on Community. Put in your email address, and John will add you when he gets time. He's actually probably... Better at doing those than he is a lot of other forms of communication. So, uh, give that a shot. If you have questions for us or comments or complaints, uh, or if you want us to talk about something, uh, on the show, info at com. We love getting emails, so please don't be bashful. Um, uh, we also love reviews. You can do those in iTunes or Stitcher. Well, no, you can't do on Stitcher. Sorry. Um, you said that before. Uh, that's because that's what I'll podcast say. They they rattle off iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and I'd. I'm like, oh, we don't do Stitcher so because they because someone else Stitcher you? wants to hijack our thing and put ads or whatever they do into it. And I just I don't know. Just not not into that. But uh, and and again, we're still. I believe I'd have to check the count, but I think we're still only accepting five star ratings. Yeah. Okay. So just uh, just FYI there. All right, John. I think we're done. Let's stick a fork in this one it's well it's well overdone <laughs> and to that i say good day sir you get nothing you lose good day sir